This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact handy carrying case and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade the other handle has the saw that comes with it so I use the saw to split the pelvis and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out right so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up to become a Go Hunt Insider today at GoHunt.com. Two percent for conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. One percent of your time plus one percent of your money equals two percent for conservation. Two percent helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, two percent can help you not only start giving back to wildlife but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitments as popular brands like Sitka, First Light, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside and giving at least 1% of time and dollars back to fish and wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, Today on the podcast, I'm joined by my buddy, Dan Johnson. Uh, Many of you know Dan. Uh, from his podcast, Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, he is the CEO of 2% Certified Sportsman's Nation, as well as a member of the board of directors for 2% for Conservation. And, you know, really today, Dan and I just kind of have um, a good old BS session, as Dan would say. Uh, but we, we tend to keep it on the rails uh, as it pertains to uh, Sportsman's Nation, uh, you know, what Dan has done over there in terms of the content that uh, he's providing to you know uh, a number of different people over there. We also have a pretty good conversation about conservation, um, really more so uh, as it pertains to kind of the whitetail world. Uh, that's obviously what I spend a good deal of my time doing in the outdoors. Um, anyone that's listened to Dan's uh, podcast knows uh, that he is obsessed with uh, with whitetail hunting. Uh, so we get to have a good conversation about that. Uh, Dan talks about some of the stuff that he has coming out um, for his podcast, Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, we share some laughs uh, about some stuff that he's doing over there as well. And really, uh, Dan and I just kind of have a have a, a a good conversation. Really, I mean, it kind of 
you know, with a lot of these uh, episodes and, and things like that, you're kind of getting to know the person uh, as, as you're having the conversation. And, and you know, it, thankfully, they've all been been really good and I've enjoyed all of them. Um, but with this one with Dan, obviously, I've, I've known Dan for a while now. Um, so it, it just kind of felt like two buddies sitting around the table or, or sitting around a campfire just kind of BSing. So fun conversation with Dan. Uh, if you haven't, obviously, be sure to check out um, Sportsman's Nation where these podcasts all kind of were where, where the average conservationist podcast lands uh, and be sure to check out um, a, a slew of other podcasts and topics over on the Sportsman's Nation as well. So episode 42, Dan Johnson. Enjoy everyone. All right. With me today on the podcast, I have the founder of 2% Certified Sportsman's Nation, along with board of director member and my buddy, Dan Johnson. Dan, what's going on, man? Marcus, my man. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I know this is uh, this is probably a long time coming. I mean, considering you know we first met, uh, what, a little over a year ago, I would say. And, you know, I was able to be on your podcast, Nine Finger, po- Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And, you know, knowing obviously your affiliation with 2%, I think it was just kind of a matter of time before we were able to to put this together and uh, sit down together. Yeah. I tell you what, man, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with how all of this turned out, you know, like the, the introductions and how you started the average concert, like the, the introduction between me and you and how I kind of twisted your arm a little bit into starting a podcast and hooking up with 2% for conservation. You know what I mean? Well, and, and that's the thing. And that was one of the things I wanted to say was I, you know, I've, I've kind of mentioned it on some other podcast or like some introductions or even maybe like in the very first episode that we did, but, you know, just thank you for kind of putting everything, the wheels in motion to, to start this podcast. Cause obviously our relationship started when I became a partner on the Nine Fingers Chronicle, Nine Finger Chronicles podcast to, to try to help get the name out there for the average conservationist. And then, you know, I mean, we were, as soon as we got done recording our episode, you said, hey, have you ever had any interest in, in doing your own podcast? And obviously, right. you know, the, the Sportsman's Nation, and we'll get into it more, um, Umbrella has, you know, a ton of different podcasts with a ton of different content, you know, all over the spectrum in terms of the outdoors. And like you had mentioned, conservation wasn't, um, something that you had a podcast on. So that's kind of why you had asked me about it. And I remember at the time thinking like, man, ain't nobody trying to listen to me talk, right? Like, <laughs> like nobody knows who I am. You know, conservation isn't this super sexy topic like tactics or gear or, you know, whatever the case is that, that a lot of people like to listen to. And then when you said, I think right around this time or throughout when we first talked about it and we actually kind of cemented things in place here, you became uh, a member on the board of directors for 2% and having them as um, like a partner in the podcast and helping me get in touch with different um, businesses and individuals. I mean, to me, that kind of really got the ball rolling downhill and just, you know, things have been going great ever since as far as the podcast goes. And you're doing great. You're doing a really good job. The podcast, yeah, I get, I'm lucky because I get to see the numbers. The numbers are doing well, and you know, even you know, with a with a podcast like uh, the Average Conservationist, I always knew it wasn't going to perform as big as you know the hot topic hunting strategy, you know, right, running, right. you know, all that stuff. But it is as equally as important in my eyes. So that's why I wanted to have a, a conservation focused, um, 
uh, a podcast on the network because with every every breath that we put out of you know hunting strategy and stories and tactics and all that stuff, we need to have an equal voice uh, talking about conservation and those who are or are active in conservation. And so it was a no brainer for me. Yeah. And when you mentioned, like, obviously you said, obviously you knew from a, a number standpoint, it wasn't going to perform like, uh, like some of the other topics or, or podcasts that are out there. And, and I knew that as well. Right. So when we first, uh, launched this and you had sent out an email to Jared and I and said, Hey, you know, here's the numbers for, you know, roughly like the first six months or whatever. And, uh, I looked at him and I asked my wife, I was like, Hey, so Dan sent me the numbers, you know, for, for downloads, like, where do you think we're at? <laughs> and I don't know if she was just, you know, being a wife or what she was like, I don't know, like 500, 600. And I, was, <laughs> I was like, are you like, what am I? The only one listening to it? Me and Dan are just sitting there downloading this, you know, going computer to computer, IP address to IP address, just downloading this thing, listening to it. Uh, no, so I was really happy. I was, you know, kind of surprised that, you know, the we had the following that we did early on. And I think that's just kind of a, a testament to the guests and the work that those guests have done in conservation. And I'm glad that people seem to enjoy and want to listen to, you know, not only individuals, but businesses that are, are putting a big emphasis on conservation as well. Yep, absolutely. So... I remember when we were on the podcast and the very first question that you asked me was, what was my first memory of the outdoors, right? And I wasn't really prepared for it at the time, but as the conversation went on, and I've listened to, you know, plenty of your podcasts over the years, is that it's such a great question to kind of kick off any conversation really as it pertains to hunting or the outdoors or anything like that. So I want to kind of throw that question back at you and understand or find out, you know, like what was your introduction to the outdoors like? Yeah, mine, mine wasn't as intense as most people, right? I came from an outdoors family, but uh, my mom and my dad, none of them hunted. Um, we did do some fishing, but there was no, like, there was no deer stand time. There was no deer camp there, you know, like a lot of the Midwestern traditional hunting right. lifestyle type things. But my first, I have two that kind of stick out, right? And one was one of the first times I ever went fishing. Uh, my dad and my mom and my brother was just a baby. So this would have put me somewhere in the late, late four-year-old, early five-year-old uh, age range there. I think I was about five probably. And my mom is sitting under this shade tree and we're in a cattle pasture and there's a, a small river or a creek that runs through it up in Northern Iowa. And all we're doing is putting corn on a hook and we're fishing for carp. Okay. Basically. And just, you know, reel a carp in and take it off or whatever. And literally the first fish that I ever caught was this, I can't remember what my dad said. It was either, tw it, it was either 12 or it was 14 pounds. And here I am, this little five-year-old trying to reel it in with a Kermit the Frog, you know. It's uh, got to feel like a damn marlin. Right. It was crazy. It was a, <laughs> uh, a Kermit the Frog uh, fishing pole. And I was just holding on for dear, you know, for dear life. And my dad was uh, away from me and it was pulling me into the water. It was, it was fighting so hard. And my dad's like, let go. And finally my dad had to run and grab me 
and grab the pole and basically walk backwards until the fish, uh, you know, was on the, on the sandbar. But that was one of my first, um, memories of out, <laughs> uh, being in the outdoors. And then in that same time frame, my mom and dad both worked. So my grandmas would rotate. Uh, we, at that time we all lived real close to each other. Uh, my grandmas would rotate watching me and my brother and my okay. brother was a, uh, a baby. And so my grandpa would come in, uh, from the field or from doing chores at, uh, lunchtime and he'd probably take a nap on the couch and, and eat his lunch. And about the time my brother would go down for a nap. So my, my uncle at the time was attending college, but he was still running trap lines and he was making my grandma go and check the trap lines. <laughs> so, yeah. So I would go out with my grandma while she would check these trap lines. And this is going to sound kind of gruesome, but my first, one of my first memories is me taking a baseball bat to any live animals that were still <laughs> in the trap. So my, my grandma would have a 22, but she really didn't want to use it unless it was like a real angry raccoon. But if we caught like a, a possum or a muskrat uh, or a smaller raccoon in one of these traps, all right, Daniel, go get them. <laughs> Step up to the plate. Right. So here, here's this five-year-old, you know, hitting, uh, hitting these animals. And then I'd have to, you know, my grandma would take him out of the trap and I'd have to drag him up on the, out of the ditch or wherever the trap was. And we'd throw him in the car and we'd check, you know, nothing huge, you know, not a, a, a big all day trap line, but you know, like an hour of work. And, uh, it was, uh, th those were my two first memories when it came to that, you know, being outside and, and that, I guess you want to say that lifestyle. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you and I are around the same age. And when I think back to my upbringing, and while, uh, you know, knowing that I knew uh, actively was, was trapping, what you just explained doesn't seem out of the norm to me for, right. for a kid, especially in the Midwest <laughs> here, right? right? But I feel like now if I were to take, like, my daughter out trapping or something like that, and, you know, she's, you know, four, she'll be, you know, she'll be five later this year, but... If I were to give her a baseball bat, I feel like a lot of people would be like, uh, what are you doing there, Val? Like, are yeah, you sure right. you want to be, you know, it's just funny how kind of times change. But yeah, that doesn't seem out of the norm at all to me, especially, like I said, for, for the Midwest here. Right. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I, I loved I loved doing it. I, I don't know what it was. I think it was because I was for the most part raised on a farm, you know, my early years. And so I, you know, I saw dead chickens and cows and pigs all the time and we'd go to the sale barn and, and all that stuff. And, uh, so I, I guess I was used to death in some kind yeah. of way. Uh, I was still a nature lover, right? I still love to go on hikes and go fishing. And most of the fish that we caught got thrown, you know, got thrown back, but still, I guess I was used to it in some way. Yeah. Now, fast forward, tell me about when bow hunting for whitetails became an obsession. 2006. I can tell you, uh, it was, it's weird. Uh, I, you know, you go to college or I, I, I still hunted, right? The first time I ever went uh, bow hunting was like when I was 12 or 13 and I wasn't ever very good at it. I never focused on it, right? You know, it's like uh, the first bow I ever had, and I tell this story all the time, but the first, the first, uh, the first uh, bow I ever had, all the arrows were mismatched, 
Hmm. I got a bale of hay for my grandpa. I out of the eight arrows or ten arrows, I think I hit four on that bale of hay, and I was just like, "All right, I'm ready to go. Like, <laughs> let's go slay some deer, right?" Right. So, so that was one of those, um, you know, never. And then sports, and then school, and then girls, and then college, and and I still did some turkey hunting, and I still did some deer hunting, but it was 2006. When it was kind of funny, I, I got out of a relationship and, uh, I got, I, when I got my finger cut off, I got money from that, that accident. And so uh, I took some money. I went to the store, I bought a bow and arrow sights rest. And I just like, no doubt cannonballed into bow hunting at in two, the, 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 the 2006 archery season here in Iowa and honestly never looked back. So it was really just, you had always enjoyed doing it, but just for whatever, re, whether it was time or, or money, you just didn't really kind of focus in and try to start honing the craft until 2006 then? Yeah, it was just dumb and young really was, I didn't have any direction. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have a direction that I was going in, right? It was just, I was spontaneous. I was bouncing all over the place. I didn't have a hobby. I didn't have, I, I like to go fishing and, and I did all this stuff, but I was never ever serious about it, yeah. right? I was drinking way too much. I was doing all the stuff young people do, making a ton of mistakes, getting in trouble. And I got out there, right? And I, I can remember it. It was a late October day and like, you know how sometimes you're sitting in the woods and around the the leaf change time, mm-hmm. and I was in this this maple flat, and it was just a whole bunch of maples, and they were all yellow, the leaves were yellow, and as the sun goes down, the everything just looks different. It looks like it's yellow hue, this golden hue, and I didn't even I don't even think I saw a deer that night, but I was so happy in that moment that I said to myself, I want to do this every as much as I can for the rest of my life. And that's when I kind of flipped from, you know, I didn't grow up right away out of that, but I did start focusing on bow hunting uh, a lot more. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, for a lot of people that, that tend to kind of cannonball into something like you just said, it's, it's one, one moment, right? Like one outing, one experience, whatever the case is that kind of triggers everything right and it, sometimes it's not even you know it could be a life event right that that makes you want to reconnect with the outdoors or connect with it in general so yeah that's uh that's an interesting story about you know just the way kind of nature was doing its thing when you were out there and you're like okay yep this is this is something that i need more of and i need it all the time yeah and i'm not necessarily one of those guys who believes in you know like good lord send me a sign <laughs> right. I, like, i'm not I'm not that guy, but whatever, whatever happened that day, I picked up on it and I, I just went in from there and I'll be honest, it it probably, I don't want to say it saved my life, but it saved my health and it saved me from doing a whole bunch of, you know, other, because who, who would have known what direction I would have went down, you know, what direction I would path I would have taken if I didn't focus on this positive thing that at that time was bow hunting. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it sounds like I was going to say it certainly changed the the trajectory of your life for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So now speaking of trajectory, so 2006, you cannonball into bow hunting for, for whitetails there in Iowa. At what point did you decide to start your podcast, The Nine Finger Chronicles? Ooh, I can't even, I honestly, I can't even remember when it started. I know that the Sportsman's Nation started in 2000, November 1st of 2017. And I think I had the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast two years before that. Okay. So maybe, maybe 2015 or late 2014 where, um, I started it and really what, what started it was, you know, my buddy Mark Kenyon over to Wired to Hunt. We were on a shed hunt one day and he goes, Hey man, I'm going to start a podcast. Uh, do you want to be my co-host? And I was like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll do it. And at the time, and at the time, you know, right now everybody's got a podcast well, yeah. but at, the t- at the time there, there, the, the podcast in the outdoor space was small. There wasn't many like hunting themed podcast. So I said to myself, you know what? I think I'm going to start my own, take it in a different direction. And, uh, that's, you know, late 14, early 15 is when I started the nine finger Chronicles podcast. And then that's really what sparked everything from, from that point on. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You mentioned, um, that Mark had, uh, asked you to be his co-host. And like you said, at the time, there wasn't really much out there in terms of podcasts for the outdoors. Right. So kind of a, I'll make a long story short here. My brother-in-law, worked with Mark. Uh, I don't know if Mark was in high school because he's obviously a few years younger, but uh, I remember my brother-in-law, I mean, he wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, but my my sister's, or my my girlfriend's brother was like, yeah, this guy I work with uh, back at school, he started like this this blog about like whitetail hunting and stuff like that. And I remember thinking like, all right, cool, man. Like at that point, I like wasn't super immersed back into the world of hunting. Like I still, I hunted casually, you know, I wasn't nearly as passionate about it then as I am now. And, you know, it just, it's one of those things I just kind of rolled off, you know, rolled off my back and I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then like maybe a year or two later, he was like, yeah, have you, I, was, I said, so I was like, yeah, have you heard this Wired to Hunt podcast? And he's like, yeah, man, like that's the one I tried telling you about like two years ago. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of a small world and it's funny how right. how those things kind of all come together. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it that made you decide to start Sportsman's Nation? Um, Kind of taking one step further from, yeah, from Nine yeah. Fingers there. So it was kind of a, a business. Um, like 2017, I, I'm not going to say there was more podcasts that there is that there are now, but there was a lot of podcasts starting into like in 2017. So early, late into 2016, early 2017, I got this idea where I'm just like, and I remember, I don't know why, but my grandpa he always used to have this saying, and the saying was, one horse can pull 1,000 pounds two horses can pull 3000 pounds, right? So if you work together, you can get more reach basically. Right. So I said to myself, well, if I start bringing at, and at the time I, my nine finger Chronicles was doing very well. Um, I was getting a lot of downloads and I said to myself, what do I need to do to separate myself from the, all this other stuff? And I said, it's just quite frankly, bring on more quality content. And so I had this kind of idea, you know, back then 
where I was like, you know, I want to start a company that consolidates all this quality podcast content and put it in one location. Uh, easy to find um, under one umbrella. And so I started asking around and I reached out to um, a couple guys. I think the I can't even remember who the first two were, but I know the first one was uh, Land and Legacy, the Land and Legacy podcast out of Missouri. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time, I was like, these dudes are onto something with their content being just like the cream of the crop when it comes to habitat management. Um, no one was talking like them. No one was saying the stuff that they were saying. So I, I, and at the time, they were relatively small. You know, they're just starting. And I, and I proposed this idea to them. And uh, hence, that was the birth, really, of the Sportsman's Nation. And I think a, a, a couple months later is when I officially had the release. You know, like I, I released the, the Sportsman's Nation. And, uh, and then from there, it went from two, two RSS feeds, you know, and the Whitetail feed, uh, where you can get all of it, right? And now we have a, a big game feed, a fishing feed, a um, – the whitetail feed and we have an additional 18 rss feeds uh and i think right now we're sitting at like 20 or 21 rss feeds with like five or six more coming in the next six months okay. so okay yeah yeah so how is it that you decide what type of content that you want to add to the sportsman's nation umbrella yeah that's a good question um i think a lot of it has to do from just filling gaps right like i I focus, let's just say this, Lane and Legacy, when I brought them on, their main focus is habitat. And there's a lot of people out there who own land and do habitat work on their farms. I don't do that. That's not my strong suit. Uh, I don't own land. I don't uh, lease ground. I don't do any habitat work. But I knew it was a, a hot topic, so that's why I brought them on. Um, I had a, a buddy, Adam Parr, out of uh, Colorado, he had a um, he started a podcast called the um, uh, Transition Wild, and it was basically about him moving from Michigan to Colorado to hunt big game and antelope and elk and mule deer, and that's something that I know nothing about. So really, what it was was reaching out to people who who knew and were I'm not going to say experts because there, in my opinion, there's really no expert, uh, but we're talking about things that I wasn't covering or I didn't, you know, I didn't know about and I brought them on so we could get a, a full choir, if that makes sense, of all these different voices uh, and knowledge points. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. And I think you kind of put it best, filling the gaps of, of things that, you know, whether it's you personally don't have a lot of experience with or, you know, it's just a, an area that a lot of people are interested in. Yeah. Um, now, did these people already have podcasts or did you kind of pitch them the same way you pitched me? Like, hey, I know you got something going on there and I think you'd be kind of good at uh, as a voice or, or a host. I mean, how, did, how does that how does that look? Yeah, some people have all, you know, already have uh, podcasts and uh, I, I basically tell them, hey, man, you know, if uh, you know, I, I, I sell the network to them, yeah. you know, I'm like, hey, man, uh, you come on you come on my platform, you're going to get a larger audience. You're going to get more downloads. It's going to have, you know, I, I, that's the business side of this, right? right? Um, your message is going to go further. You're going to be able to uh, get some kind of 
return on your time investment where you could potentially get a sponsor, a paying sponsor, or get some free product or however, however you want to do it. Um, so some of, some of these people had podcasts and we just brought them on board and, uh, others I, I talked into starting one and, uh, then they started it up just like you did. And, and uh, episode one was, uh, you know, started, it started scratch on the network. Yeah. Now, do you get a lot of people that are reaching out to you saying, Hey, I think I have a great idea for a podcast or do you tend or do you find that it tends to be kind of more organic in, in how you're building these relationships with, with people that eventually come onto the network? Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people that reach out to me saying, Hey, I have a great idea on a podcast or I'm getting ready to start a podcast and I want to, I want to come on the network. Unfortunately, I can't bring everybody on because the, the most important thing to me on the network is that the quality of the content has to be tip top. Right. right? And, and, Number one, it needs to be tip top, and number two, I don't necessarily need overlapping, you know, content, right? I mean, we're whitetail heavy as it is, but we're strategically whitetail heavy, right? So we got habitat, we have uh, stories, we have uh, stories um, from out east, you know, we have stories like the southern ground. Uh, my buddy uh, Parker McDonald, he. His podcast is mostly whitetail focused, but it's southern whitetail focused, which is a completely different world than the Midwest that me and you know. Right. So, so I look for for niches. I look for people who are first off, you got to be excited about what it is you're doing, and um, if you can prove to me that you have a good idea and uh, and it's going to be quality content, yeah, there's a, there's a chance, but. I'm not going to I'm not going to duplicate content just just for download sake. Yeah, no. And I, I think, if, yeah, from a business standpoint, I mean, yeah, that's that's obviously the best way to do it. Now, you just touched on it where you said, you know, southern ground, uh, you know, like hunting whitetails in the south is, is definitely different than the right. Midwest. And speaking of which, you got your first taste of Michigan whitetail hunting <laughs> this season. And I, I know I've, I've listened to uh, to your episode. I listened to uh, the episode that you had recorded with Mark there on Wired to Hunt, um, just about your experience. But for for my guests that maybe didn't get a chance to hear, what did you think of of hunting whitetails in Michigan? Well, it was really less of a taste of hunting Michigan and more of a a, a kick in the crotch. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Michigan, right? Exactly. So one thing that it really did, it was a wake up call for me. You know, like. I was born in Iowa. I hunt prime ground in Iowa. Like I, you know, I see deer and just listening to people talk and all these people that I've communicated with over the span of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast is that I am really blessed with where I hunt, <laughs> right? Like when I, when I was, when I talk to people and I'm saying, yeah, I, I passed a 143 year old today or whatever. People almost have strokes when I say that because they, they are just like, no, I've never even seen a wild 140 class deer, right? I've never seen anything that big. Um, the only thing I see is spikes and, and four corns and, and some does. And like, for example, I was talking to a guy in Vermont and he was telling me that in an entire season, he will see un 10 deer or under. 
The whole season? Season. Oof. And yeah, right. So that that just kind of puts puts it into perspective. So it was a it was a wake up call for me because I see quite possibly the best hunting in the nation, and uh, I, I bitch about it sometimes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only saw three year olds tonight. You know, oh, gosh darn it, woe is me. And yeah, a bunch of three year old ten points. Yeah, not a good night. People would probably rob and steal to get where I'm at. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah. So uh, I, I guess I just have to put things into perspective and enjoy the hunt and not the outcome. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very good lesson and a, and a very good takeaway, too, because I think a lot of people, especially, you know, the more they listen to podcasts and stuff like that and, you know, with the, the rise of social media and everything out there is, you know, a Boone and Crockett buck or something like that, it just... It gives people people this, or you know, hunters that are just kind of getting into it. It gives them this kind of preconceived notion that hey, this is how it is, man. You kill booners every year, and it's easy breezy, and you know that's that's not the case at all. It's it's no. it's way more about the experience and what goes into it than you know the kill or the harvest. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, it's unfortunate that mm-hmm. it's you know. I'm going to say that we're not as deep into the score and the antler size as we used to be, but it's still there. It still drives the, the hunting community and the hunting industry. And, uh, I, I try my hardest to shed light on everything except I'm not going to say except because at some point we're on audio here. I have to ask a hunter. Okay. So describe the rack to me. What did he score? right yeah. for for some kind of visual if i didn't have to do that i probably wouldn't ever talk uh, about <laughs> antler size or or score right because in my opinion it is the least important thing of everything right agreed now so kind of taking that one step further and how do you think that we kind of change that that narrative or change that conversation? Or do you think that it's, it's happening right now and we just need to kind of continue along down this path? Well, I think what happens is, is people need to realize that uh, score doesn't mean, and then like, I'm, I'm going to talk like I'm on my own podcast here, but uh, score, right. doesn't mean, yeah, score doesn't mean shit. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, what does it do? In my opinion, the meat that I cook is more of a trophy to me than the the antlers now don't get me wrong awesome big giant bucks are fun to look at they're fun to talk about i have them hanging on my wall and you know i get big deer mounted and all this stuff but i think that when we focus on it it takes away from everything else like like when i hear someone lead a story with yeah this buck was booner <laughs> Oh wow, that's odd. like cool story, bro. Like I, I, I don't care. Tell me about the wind direction. Tell me how you accessed your stand. Uh, tell me about what this buck was doing. How he was working his way through the terrain. Um, what time of year was it? What was the wind doing? What was the temperature like? These are the things that interest me. I'm not. I I'm not like. I don't know. I I just. It's cool, but it, it's not my main focus. And I think that if we want to change it, we have to tell more of the story, right? Yeah. We can't just be like Booner alert, like <laughs> okay, cool, you got you shot a big buck. What what? You know, break it down. You know, a majority of the people 
think that giant racks gives them some kind of status, right? Well, hey, you really need to check out uh, so-and-so because uh, he's killed 18 Boone and Crockett deer. He's the, he's a master. Yeah. Well, you know, there's guys in Michigan who are probably better hunters. And, and, and you know, the, the term better hunters is so relative anyway, right? Right, right. But again, it doesn't matter. Different different ecosystems, different environments that, like, it, there's no level playing field, right, when it comes to hunting. And I don't know. It just – it doesn't interest me. And I think if we focus more on the story and get more in-depth about the details, that's when things start really getting exciting because then, like – a guy who shoots a his first deer ever with a bow and it's 105 inches or 100 inches and he's so jacked up about it that he can't even talk right that's the kind of excitement and we need not only to um get that guy to stay in the the sport but promote the sport if you want to call hunting a sport to others and let them come in and taste this excitement as well. Because, um, if you just focus on, on racks and antler size, then the people who are, you know, on the outside looking in say, well, that's not attainable for me. So why hunt? Right. And I, you, you, you kind of said something there that, <clears throat> that I, I wanted to, to touch on a little bit more was the stories and the, the kind of the, everything else, everything that went into the hunt uh, is is far more important than what is on top of the the deer's head because you could have a great story and shoot a doe right I mean oh, yeah. there could be so many great things that you know the way you know you, you like you said you accessed your stand you know what this what the deer was doing was it feeding was it going to feeding was it going to bedding whatever the case is and I find that it's it's hunters who have have spent a little bit more time in the woods maybe that are focusing more on those aspects of the hunt and i think like you just said we need to tell those stories more because one i'd much rather hear a story about like you said shooting a 105 inch eight point as your first archery deer and everything that went into it because i've been there i know what that feeling is like and so do you and so do you know hundreds of thousands of other hunters taking that first deer with their bow and everything that goes into it as opposed to someone who says "Ah, i climbed up in my shack eight o'clock in the morning, eight thirty, walked out at two hundred yards, shot him, Boone and Crockett, story over. Right. Like I yeah. believe me, there's a place for, for that in hunting because that's kind of the nature of it. But I would much rather hear about the the previous story. Yeah. Well and, and that's the thing. There's the story. The story isn't the big giant buck. I mean, yes, that should be the main focus. The animal should only always be the main focus. Right. But how did you get to that hunting shack? Right. Yeah. Did you in it, were you outside in August cultivating this land in 95 degree heat and humidity, sweating your balls off, working, 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 doing all this habitat management on it? Uh, that's part of the story, too. Right. Because a lot of people do that. It's just how I can relate to hard work, like hard work it is what I, I feel is the relatable part. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't own a, a, a whole bunch of ground that I can manipulate and plant food plots on. But I can relate to setting stands in 90 degree heat. I can relate to running and gunning uh, and um, bouncing all over a farm trying to locate a deer and, and get after them. Just like I can re- relate to the hard work that this guy's putting in in his food plots on you know, and checking his trail cameras and, you know, locating this deer in his own way. 
but hard work is hard work, right? Yep. So if we can focus on things that we are the same at as opposed to what make us different, then – and that's that's like life in general, right? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I think that, you know, oh, you shot him with a gun or you shot him with a bow or you shot him with a crossbow. Like, oh, Jesus, man. Like if you're going to point fingers and shit on each other, then they're, just stay home. Yeah, there, there's too much to that. I mean – we're a, a small community as it is, right? We don't yeah. need to be attacking one another, putting down one another for the way that we go about, you know, hunting, right? Yeah, right. So I kind of want to transition off of that. And, you know, obviously as outdoorsmen and outdoorswomen, we're all, you know, conservationists to a degree. So what was it that made you decide to kind of take that next step in terms of really upping your conservation game or your um, involvement in conservation, both personally and as a company and, you know, get involved with 2%. Yeah. So this stems back all the way when I was a kid and my dad, Okay. like conservation. I mean, even though we were not in like, we weren't hunting per se, we weren't a hunt family. We did some, we did a lot of camping. Right. And I can remember going on a hike one time in Northeast Iowa with my dad and I saw all of these people, uh, working on the trail. Like I think that that summer a, a big rain came through and it washed all these trails out. So these guys were taking railroad uh, ties and they were, um, rebuilding some stairs and rebuilding the trail and all this stuff. And I'm like, what are they doing? And my dad was explaining to me, like, these people are volunteering their time to fix this so that me and you can come and walk this trail and enjoy nature. And that really stuck with me throughout those years, right? And people are volunteering their time and their money and their energy to like causes that have changed their life, right? And have, you know, and to things that they enjoy. And that was kind of always a message that, maybe not directly, but my dad kind of preached. I mean, it's like, Oh, don't, you know, put that wrap, put that wrapper in the trash. Don't throw it on the ground. Like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Like really focused on nature. And, uh, I think I had that connection when I was real young to, if you want to make a, a change, you have to be, you have to do that yourself, right? You can't, you can't complain about something. And let's, let's just say, for example, uh, oh man, I wish someone would fix this trail. Right. Right. No, if you, you <laughs> I always say that, like, remember that, uh, grumpy old men movie where the old man's like, you can wish in one hand and shit in the other and see which one gets filled up first. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that for a lot of years by right. my old man. Right. So, so it was, it was moments like that where it's like, if you want to see something, you got to do something. Right. And, and that kind of always stuck with me. And, and that's why when I started the sportsman's nation back in 2017, I said, I'm building this into my budget. I am going to donate my time and my energy to something. I don't know. I, I, I don't really know what it is, what, what I'm going to do. Uh, like in the past, it's been, uh, the National Deer uh, Association or the old uh, QDMA and the old uh, National Deer Alliance, they've merged. I mean, they've become the National Deer Association. Right. Um, I've done some some stuff with both of those organizations and now it's one. And, you know, it, it's just, it's part of 
what I do now. And then now that I'm a board member uh, and I've, I've done some editing in the past for, you know, doing some work and giving some money in the past or, or work in lieu of money uh, in the past to some organizations and some con- conservation efforts that r- really it's built into what I do and uh, it's always going to be built into what I do. No, that's, and that's a great example for, you know, anyone that's, you know, wanting to, to make a difference is build that in from the get go, right? Like, don't be, don't be forced to do it. You know, you should want it to be, you know, a part of everything that you're doing. I mean, it took me a little longer uh, to get certified than I wanted to, but that was, but giving back was always something that I wanted to do because, you know, I think about all the things that hunting and fishing and just being outdoors has given me, you know, and not even from a monetary standpoint, because it really hasn't given me anything from a monetary standpoint, but just the, the memories and the enjoyment and things like that. I mean, it's kind of the, you know, giving back my time and, you know, some money is, is the least really that I can do from, from an outdoorsman standpoint. Right. Right. So did you, when you started Sportsman's Nation, were you familiar with 2% at the time? Yeah, I think even before I started the Sportsman's Nation, I had Jared on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast to talk about 2% for conservation. Okay. And once I heard 2% for conservation and what they do and how they do it, it was a no-brainer for me that I wanted to get the Sportsman's Nation certified. So it was just those conversations looking into it. Uh, looking into, you know, the cost of it, or, you know, there's really no cost per se. I mean, there's how much money, you know, the 1% of your, your uh, income and the 1% of your time. And it was just, Hey man, you just have to do it. You're just, you just, you're going to do it. And, yep. you know, it, it was that organization that really, allowed me it's it's everybody likes to get a sticker when they go to the dentist right because they were every a good boy right no cavities yeah exactly so i almost look at two percent for conservation as that you've done really you've done your work here here you're being acknowledged for it yeah and i'm not getting any money per se i'm not getting you know i am i am and i i'm not the kind of guy who necessarily needs a pat on the back but Every company that's 2% for uh, conservation certified is doing something. And even if it's small scale, it has a big impact. And I like I liked that that uh, mantra and how they operate. So I knew that, was that, that I wanted to work with them. Yeah, and it's like you said that, I mean, there's, you take, there's big companies out there like Sitka, yeah. First Light. So, I mean, they have you know, they're able to, to don't, you know, their 1% is bigger than your 1% or my 1%. Right. right? I mean, you and I are, are, are a one man band in terms of, you know, sportsman's nation and nine fingers in the average conservationist. So, you know, my 21 hours is going to look different than their 21 hours. And, you know, my 1% is different than their 1%. But like you said, it's, it's all, it's all gold, right? Like it's yeah. all, it's all currency. It's all going to be spent for the betterment of, of habitat and wild places and, you know, everything like that. So yeah. And, and what I love, and you said it, and I feel like almost every business or even, you know, committee members that are part of 2% have said is like, it was a no brainer. It was yeah. a no brainer, right? Like that's, I've, I've heard that probably, you know, you're up, you're going to be like episode 40 something. I've heard it, you know, that many times from, from people involved. And I just wish more people 
looked and, and fe- looked at it and felt that way about conservation as well as, you know, it's a no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. So now as a, as a board member for 2%, what is, um, what does that role kind of look like? Because I just had on Jess Johnson, who uh, is a board member for 2% also. And she kind of, she talked about how her role is kind of more on like the legislative side and, you know, getting her opinion on things because that is, you know, as a day job, that is what she does. So what does your role kind of look like with 2%? Yeah. So, um, I know that 2% is really busy right now. So really I have this platform, right? So in, in some way, shape or form, I'm a preacher, right? I'm, I'm trying to preach the good word to, to the audience. Um, and, and I guess provide guidance to the rest of the board on how to spread that message to a uh, said audience, right? Okay. So, so there's that, and really, it's whenever I have the opportunity to point people in the direction of two percent for conservation, I do it. And uh, I, shit, one of my buddies out of uh, uh, Illinois uh, has a, he was opening up a distillery, and I talked them into getting two percent for conservation certified. So, uh, and and just a a handful of other companies as well. So really whenever I have the opportunity to talk with someone about getting certified, especially if it's a a company, I'm always, I'm, you know, I'm slipping it in there in conversation. I'm pointing them in the direction and I'm almost like one of those sales guys, right? Who's like, all right, well now I'm going to let you talk to my boss, (laughs) You know, before before we make the deal go through, you need to talk to my boss. And then I always, you know, I I send that introduction email to Jared, and and uh, I let those guys take it from there, man. Yeah, Jared is a uh, Jared closes deals, man. That's for sure. Yeah. He's got that. He's got that energy and enthusiasm that's hard to say right. no to. Right. Um. <clears throat> so, a few more questions here before I let you get on your way. So, is there anything new and exciting that you kind of have? Uh, in the works here for uh, 2021 in terms of Sportsman's Nation or Nine Finger Chronicles? Well, <laughs> if you can divulge, I asked this, Yeah, I asked this question to a lot of people and there are, some are like, well, I can't really tell you. And I'm like, I get it, you know, like, I, but I got to ask the question. Yeah, no, I'll tell you this. Uh, yesterday, I filmed my first episode of the Nine Finger Kitchen. So I... I made venison meatloaf, uh, paired it with some alcoholic beverages, made a side dish, and uh, and that was that's going to go on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel uh, here pretty soon, and and it's going to be a series coming where I'm going to, you know, be uh, filming me cooking some food, uh, all wild game focused, and uh, really, I guess putting it out there, and it's not. <laughs> I like saying this because all the other uh, wild game type videos that are out there just seem so complex. It's like, all right, now this is going to take four hours to cook. And I'm like, hey, I got three kids. So unless I can't warm it up in the microwave. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, have you uh, looked through the Meat Eater cookbook? As much as I, I love it, I mean, some yeah. of that stuff, it's like, I don't have time for this. Right. right? Like, exactly. give me something easy. And I'm not saving my butthole out of my deer. It's staying in the gut pile. So, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So um, these are all, all these recipes are going to be really simple recipes. Um, they're not going to take a lot of time to get ready uh, or, you know, to make. And if they do take 
a long time to make. You're going to be able to walk away from it, go do some chores, come back, you know, take the kids to dance and then come back and then it'll be ready when you get like crock pot type stuff, you know, or put it in the oven for some time. But uh, that's one thing. And then another thing that I'm really excited about on the, on the sportsman's nation level is just expanding more podcasts that are going to be state specific. Right. I think we got, got some irons in the fire with Pennsylvania. Uh, We got some irons in the fire with South Dakota, um, Wisconsin. Uh, So there's going to be some really state specific podcasts coming uh, down the pipe that I'm really excited about because, you know, these great big podcasts are awesome. Right. I love talking to people all over the country. But one thing that everybody can relate to is state specific content. Right. It's like the guys in the south hear me talk about my rut and they're just like, well, it's cool, but I can't relate to it. Right. So, you know, or, you know, let's say guys that hunt big timber up in Michigan or Wisconsin, they can't relate to my farm you know, my farm ground talks, right? They, right? they like to hear it and some of the principles that you can take away from some of this stuff. And it's not going to be deer specific. I mean, we're going to talk about turkeys and, and, and the trapping and fishing and, you know, all everything that you can hunt in those states, we're going to talk about them. Yeah. And that's cool too, because some of the states that you just mentioned are, are pretty steeped in tradition uh, in terms of, you know, hunting and fishing and things like that. So, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people that reside within those states are going to be excited when, uh, you know, content like that <clears throat> is available for them because it's going to be so much more relatable, like you just said. Absolutely. Hey, I just wanted to touch on one point when you were talking about the Nine Fingers Kitchen. So I saw something on your Instagram story the other day, and you had something on the plate there that brought me back to being like 10 years old sitting at the dinner table. And I think it's something that is criminally overlooked and that is just a plain piece of bread with butter on it. Dude, dude, dude. Okay. I even said this in my video. Every meal that I ever, almost every meal that I ever had, I don't care if it was spaghetti or pot roast. Especially or, spaghetti. Yeah, exactly. Every meal that I had, there was a loaf of bread and a tub of butter on. And that's that might be why, why I was never skinny. But... <laughs> <laughs> but Every meal, we had a loaf of bread and a tub of butter, and we would, you know, we'd just make a bu- piece of butter bread, and that that was with us every meal. Yeah, yeah, no, the exact same way. When I saw that, I was like, it was, it was like I was flashback, you know, thirty right. years, and I was like, wait a second, did he just ah. put, did he just put that on his plate? Because I'm like, he has this nice, you know, Venice or this nice meatloaf and stuff. I'm like, boom, there's the buttered bread. I'm like, that just that tops it off. So I had to comment on that, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many meals growing up I made like buttered bread tacos. So what, what was whatever my mom was cooking, you know, put a little bit of meatloaf, put a little bit of corn and mashed potatoes, and now you got your your white bread taco. And <laughs> <laughs> people from, people outside the Midwest just won't appreciate this. I'm afraid. Right. Right. <laughs> hey, one more question before I let you go is uh, I know obviously last year probably hampered uh, a few of your hunts or potential hunts so what do you've got what do you have in store for uh, for this year in terms of hunts oh dude this sounds bad but the p- pandemic is the best time to go hunting i mean <laughs> like i know a lot of people had to cancel certain trips and hey man i can't you know outfitters had maybe had to close or big big hunts out west were but man last year i went to south dakota to michigan to iowa back to south dakota and uh so i 
I was on the, you know, I did really well last year. And this year I have points. Um, I've applied to, um, I, I cashed in all my preference points for Wyoming elk. Okay. Uh, definitely going back to South Dakota to try to kill a mule deer. It's like, I, I have to kill a mule deer. I have to, uh, this is my third year going there. And for some, I've gotten close, but never close enough. And then, um, back to Iowa. And then who knows after that, there's a small chance I go to Missouri. There's a small chance that in January, uh, I go do that over the counter, um, coos deer, mule deer hunt in Arizona. Oh, I think nice. it is. Yeah. So that, that might be an option, but again, that all depends on, um, how many bridges I burn throughout the rest of the <laughs> uh, month and, uh, what my wife's attitude's like. Start building those good graces now. Right. Well, I got her some, I got her, got her some sparkly things for Christmas. So hopefully that lasts, uh, that got me some, uh, brownie points for, uh, a couple months anyway. And that'll get you through shed season in Turkey season. <laughs> right. right. And then I'm screwed. <laughs> uh, well, Hey Dan, man, I really appreciate you taking some time today. I really enjoyed it. And I'm glad we finally got you on the podcast, man. Absolutely. Love what you're doing. And I love this uh, connection that we've made with, uh, 2%. Um, so, you know, just beating that dead horse, man, if, Anybody who's listening, uh, this is the first time you've ever heard this uh, this podcast. Look into 2%. It's the real deal, and they're doing great things, man. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Dan. We'll uh, take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you again soon, man. Yeah, you too. All right, bye. Okay, well, a big thanks to Dan for taking some time to, to join me today. Uh, I'd also like to thank the partners over at Stone Glacier and Go Hunt, as well as 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support, uh, including the Sportsman's Nation. I also encourage you guys to follow 2% on social media, where they're going to post only positive conservation-driven content, so you'll enjoy that in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode with Dan. Uh, Remember, stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you.